Hello and welcome again to the famous CFC podcast, where each episode offers a deep dive into the wonderful history of Chelsea Football Club. My name is Gary Barone and I'm joined as usual by club historian Rick Lanville. Hello mate, how are you? Very well, thank you Rick. Now, I understand that this episode will commemorate three decades of a hugely important Chelsea institution that is almost certainly unique in football. It's about the Chelsea pitch owners. Indeed it does, Gary. 18th of March, which is not long away, is the 30th anniversary of the independent public limited company that was set up to secure the future, in perpetuity no less, of Chelsea Football Club playing football at Stamford Bridge. So what could be possibly more fundamentally brilliant than that? I can think of nothing whatsoever. Now, Rick, in a moment, you're going to read the letter that came through supporters' letterboxes mm-hmm. dated the 18th of March 1993. Yeah. But first, we should offer a brief backgrounder as to why this organisation was even needed in the first place. Oof. And it is a sorry tale, and we both lived it as Chelsea fans, didn't we? Didn't we just? <laughs> yeah. So at the end of the 70s, 80s, start of the 80s, Chelsea were millions of pounds in debt and close to going bankrupt. I mean, there's signs were everywhere. Bridge of Sighs and every back of news, a headline on the back of every newspaper. And we've been taunted by opposition fans. Oh, you're not going to be here next year anyway. So um, possibly even disappearing from the football map. And uh, that was the state of play. And in April 1982, the club's chief executive, the finance man, Martin Spencer, actually arranged for the sale of the club to an old associate of his, Ken Bates, uh, for the princely sum of £1. £1, a cheaper half the price. But I can imagine there must have been some strings attached, eh? (laughs) Strings attached, well, rather cutting of ties that could have proved fatal. Because in order to make the deal... Uh, Spencer and Bates parked the debt of around £2.6 million in a separate company that had been set up in 1980, the Stamford Bridge or SB Property Company. And they offset the liability with a prime asset worth around almost exactly the same amount, the stadium freehold owned by Chelsea. Uh So what could possibly go wrong? And anyway, who actually owned the shares in the other company, SB Property. Well, glad you asked that question. And even more glad I know the answer to it. Uh, the shareholders in SB Property were uh, the aforementioned financial salvage expert, Martin Spencer, club secretary, Sheila Marson, director, Brian Mears, <coughs> former chairman, of course, uh, great nephew of the original owner, Gus Mears, and along with his cousins, David and Les- Leslie Mears, they were both major shareholders. Viscount Chelsea, who was the sort of latest heir to the lordship of Cadogan, so the latest heir to the club's first president, Lord Cadogan. Uh, George Thompson, an obscure Scottish businessman who never had a positive word to say about anything, apparently. And Richard, Lord Attenborough, the actor and film director. Well, of course, these were all people associated with Chelsea Football Club. Uh, And the idea was that this SB property would take over the indebted football club and become its holding company and therefore protecting it from the the problem of the the indebtedness and protecting it from going out of business. But that does actually seem really smart. So what did go wrong? Well, you're right. It was smart. uh, But the and the debt was being eat, uh, eaten away, but Martin Spencer felt there was a, still a major problem. Uh, and in fact, in SB Property, 
it was open to other people to buy shares and lots of lots of people did and lots of descendants of some of the original directors and hangers on and executive supporters so it looked healthy enough um but on the 26th of april 1982 so that's three or so weeks after Bates' takeover, the stadium freehold was transferred from Chelsea Football Club to SB Properties, and get this, rented back to the club for a term of seven years, right? Seven years. I mean, what, what that was a, obviously alarm bells ringing then. Uh, but new owner, Bates, thought that uh, he was confident he could secure a a deal with the major shareholders in FB Property, which is now obviously a completely separate organisation to the to the football club, and he'd be able to reunite the stadium, so claim reclaim that asset, repatriate it with the club. But things dragged on uh, really quite poorly. And on the 23rd of January 1984, and this is where, Gary, you cue the ominous background music, mm-hmm. a, a voracious mm-hmm. property developer, Marla Estates, put in an offer to buy SB Property. So SB Property obviously owned the pitch uh, and uh, and not yet the football club. That had all changed. Um, And the SB directors accepted it on the 12th of March, 1984. So the actual directors accepted the offer from a property company Mm -hmm. uh, who had an obvious motive in this. Yeah. Okay, so apart from the fact that it's actually, uh, I'm, I'm getting flashbacks to days of huge tribulation where I was actually doing my nut. But let's put this in perspective. At that time, we had players like Dixon and Nevin and the lads playing brilliant football and winning promotion back to the first division. Yeah. But the board was selling out to a greedy developer and that Stanford Bridge freehold the lot. Yeah, taking the very pitch from under those stellar performers. It really is an absolute tragedy. And it was pretty soon clear that the new stadium owners, uh, Marla, the people that had bought this company, planned to build at best a smaller ground surrounded by retail and housing, uh, you know, would crowd out the football club completely so it would have been a tiny uh, capacity. And at worst, force Chelsea to ground share with Fulham or QPR or both. I mean, make no mistake, Gary. This was an existential threat. It would have been the end of the Blues. It, it would have been. And again, more flashbacks to the palpitations I was getting at the time. It mm. was a truly awful thing. And Haunting. It, it, it wasn't just a possibility, though, Rick. At one stage, it looked like a probability, didn't it? It looked almost like a certainty. It, it did. And I mean, just to put this into perspective for the listeners, that this went on for like the best part of a decade. And it was a daily... Uh, haunting for any Chelsea fan that you didn't know when when the next bit of news, good or bad, uh, would spring up and what it would mean for our the club that we love. Um, but just cut a long story short because it, we should cover this in detail another time. But to cut a long story short, Bates and others fought at the club uh, fought brilliantly in the courts of law and public opinion to fight, delay, block, and undermine. Marla's plans mm, absolutely and of course while this was going on any money that we had was being spent on securing our future so the club the club couldn't make any plans for the squad or improve the ground it no. really was on hold everything was on hold until it was going to be settled one way or another yeah it, it, exactly right and fortunately for us um 
and Bates had, as I said, Bates had extended this, uh, delayed uh, their plans. But Marla were then suddenly hit by the recession that took place uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. And now called Cabra, because they changed their name, uh, they went into receivership in November 92, November 1992, and then soon after they completely collapsed. And their bankers, so the people that were looking uh, after their liquidation of the of their of the company of of Marla, uh, now known as Cabra, um, took control of SB Properties' old assets, including Stamford Bridge, and brilliantly. They offered Chelsea a new long lease with the option to buy the stadium. It was such an incredible relief. All that attrition was finally over and done with. It was a big relief, that's for sure. Now, so that is where the letter then that you mentioned earlier comes in. Yeah, yeah, just a few months later. It's dated 18th of March 1993. So the the battle for Stamford Bridge is over. And uh, this is how the letter to investors as they called us, went. Um, so it starts, Gus Mears bought Stamford Bridge ground in 1905 and his grandsons, David and Brian Mears, sold it in 1984 to Marlow Estates PLC, later owned by Cabaret Estates PLC. Not strictly true. Brian Mears uh, had resigned as a director of uh, SB Properties before it was sold. So that, that was slightly inaccurate. But he carries on. This is Ken Bates wrote this, by the way. It was a close thing, but after nine years of fighting, the club finally secured its ground on 15th of December 1992 when the Royal Bank of Scotland gave Chelsea a 20-year lease with the right to buy the freehold of the ground at any time up to 8th of December 2012 for the fixed sum of five million of your English quids. Um, he didn't say that. That's my vernacular. Uh, scarcely had the ink dried on the deal when you supporters were asking, could this ever happen again? Ken Bates continues. I must confess your fears began to trouble me. After all, what was there to prevent the next generation of property speculators or indeed one of my successors (laughs) doing the same thing as Mears and with the help of local residents who do not have the club's interests at heart, getting another planning consent to build flats and houses in the stadium itself in a fresh attempt to throw the club out of Stamford Bridge. And that's that again, that's those are genuine concerns because absolutely we do have very powerful neighbours and they could easily have uh, backed uh, an alternative plan for that slice of real estate. Anyway, the letter continues. Uh, and this is where the he starts to flash out the the plan itself. And I think it is it is a stroke of minor genius. There's only one way to avoid this, Pate says, with the ground being owned by the Chelsea supporters themselves. You! Exclamation mark. <laughs> Chelsea Pitch Owners PLC, CPO, will be totally independent of the management and ownership of the club. CPO intends to buy the ground and rent it to the club, but only for the playing of football and ancillary activities. So not rugby, cricket, any of these sorts of things. Furthermore, if the club should ever leave Stamford Bridge, it must change its name and hand over the rights of Chelsea Football Club to CPO. Uh, there's a bit more detail about that. They could get permission and then they could carry on playing elsewhere. But it's about obtaining that permission, as we found out in 2011, which we'll come on to. Anyway, the letter concludes, no one person should be in a position to exercise control or manipulate CPO. 
Accordingly, nobody can have more than 100 votes in CPO, no matter how many shares they hold, and the CPO directors must not be directors of the club. The founding directors have all supported the club for many years and have usually started in the shed, uh, meaning that they first started to go in that part of the ground, the shed end. Uh, this is a recipe for stability and will assist the club in completing its development plans more quickly whilst ensuring that the ground itself stays where it belongs in your hands. Yours sincerely, Ken Bates. Now, Rick, this was a totally original idea in football back then, that the yeah. fans would effectively own the stadium and tie their club to the stadium. Yeah. And I believe it's still unique in England to this day. Oh, it's certainly in the top flight. And I think it's uh, the the cleverness of it is that obviously the fans are the custodians of the club and everyone else passes through. So it irons out the crinkles of a bad board or uh, the occasional, uh, you know, accidentally <laughs> selling off to a property company like uh, happened in 1984. And I think in terms of democracy in uh, in football, it goes further than the fan-led reforms that have been suggested by the UK government. I think it's still something that other clubs should emulate, and I don't really know why they haven't. No, absolutely. Anyway, Rick, 30 years on, we are delighted to catch up with one of CPO's founding directors, Steve Frankham, MBE, who started it all alongside former skipper Dennis Wise, the MP Tony Banks, veteran supporter Ron Hawkins, and club travel agent Gary Pynchon. Now, here's Steve. So, my old mate, Steve, how are you? How are you doing? Well, we're a long time no see, mate. <laughs> so, uh, around this time, this very time, 30 years ago, supporters and interested parties were receiving a letter from Chelsea Football Club um, about a brand new organisation, Chelsea Pitch Owners. And you were one of the four original directors. So what was its purpose? What do you remember about that setting up, the process? Well, it, it was a long time ago, as you say. <laughs> I, I, I can, what, what I kind of recall is that um, Ken Bates was looking for individuals to come on board. Right. And... I think you know she's not with us anymore. Um, but Janet Rainbow, remember Janet yeah. Rainbow? Yes. She he was asking her, you know, are there people out there that you think might come on board as directors? And she put my name forward. And um, so then I came in or went in to see Ken and he explained it. And he sent me all the all the blurb and that. And um, it was I mean, it's quite innovative really, because getting your head around it was wasn't wasn't straightforward. No, uh, because this hadn't really been done. It had nothing like at this. Thing. So of course you, you do your own due diligence, but you know it was it, it obviously it, it could work. So um, and 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 the idea was obviously because um, the Marley Estates issues, if you recall, Cabra. It, I, yeah. think it, I think I think it was like an eleventh hour issue. We got out of trouble, uh, and, and and Ken came up with the idea. Of CPO, and that whole thing was drafted by Mark Taylor, who used to be a director. Yeah, Mark was very much the one behind the contents of sewing it up, if you like. Was it he sort of thought about that? You know, the the, the the concept, like that, if you have thousands of of small owners of something, it makes it what did Ken Bates call it a poison pill to anyone who bought yeah, the stadium I, in the future. I, I, 
Yeah, I, I don't remember him saying that, but you're probably right. I think it was Ken's concept, without, okay. without that. Yeah. But, you know, the real reasons behind that, is it because he needed money mm. or, or whatever, because the club was struggling? Um, and, you know, but also uh, they were being challenged by these various developers. And I think he, he was keen to just make sure that if he couldn't have it, nobody else could have it, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> but it was ingenious. It, you know, the whole concept was great. And so you could see what, what the idea was to do. Uh, I know that he actually market tested uh, with the fans on what the take-up would be. Um, Interesting. And believe it or not, it it had a phenomenal response. With you know that fans were prepared. Remember, thirty years ago, hundred pounds a bit different than what it is now. Yeah, uh, you know, but it, there appeared to have a phenomenal take up. Um, well, as you know, to, uh, what, what we sold twenty three thousand, twenty four thousand shares. It, it's what the marketing was telling us didn't really happen. But um, but no, the concept was there. I was asked to come on board and, and you know, and uh, away we went. I met Pete. I didn't know Tony Banks before that. I really didn't know Dennis. Uh, uh, and I, I just, I did know Ron, but only in sort of passing. So, so it's Dennis Wise and Ron, Ron Hopkins. Ron Hopkins yeah. Also, Ron Gary Pynchon was there, wasn't no, he? No, I thought, I, I think I might have got that wrong. Mm. I think Gary was the director of the club, wasn't he? Uh, okay. Steve, first of all, uh, from a huge Chelsea fan, thank you very much for what you did. Really appreciate it. How come you were asked to get involved then? Did you have an involvement of the club at the time? So so why you? Well, as I say, it was Janet Rainbow that, uh, I mean, I can't remember, but I I got involved and I um, was put forward to help uh, some of the players. The first player was um, Paul Elliott. I did his benefit. Ah, okay. I was chairman for his benefit. After he was injured, yeah. Mm. Yeah, because there was this, there was a period, remember, the, 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 there, were, there was the float, but the actual company wasn't formed until a bit later, if I'm right. Near 97, maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they got me involved and I did, I ran Paul's benefit. I also sat on a Stevie Clark's benefit or testimonial. Uh, Kevin Hitchcock's, and then the last one I did was was Dennis's, Dennis Wise's. So, so you're still very friendly with, of course. Well, yeah, yeah, but yeah, of course, yeah. I still, you know, still bump into uh, all of them. To, well, Hitchcock not so much because I've got God knows where he is, but I think he's <laughs> abroad somewhere. But you, you know, I still bump into the guys. Were you were, were you a vice president at any stage, Steve? No, I was always just a, an just okay. an exec club member. Right, uh, you know, I sponsored. A Di Matteo shirt, you know. I remember. I had, a, I had some balding up round the round the round the club, you know, in the day, you know. So yeah, I did my little bit because I think the club sort of survived on lots of people like us that put little bits in. You and Joe Hamani and Graham and people. Well, yes, yeah, absolutely. Belly, really important. Help Joe was supporters. very important to the club, still is. Yeah, there was a lot of people. John Lee, who passed away, was a vice president, was a good guy. Um, there was, and I met a lot of great people, I have to say, you know, uh, through, through because I became an exec club member. Yeah, but it's one thing to have the concept of a supporter buyout, which was unique in English football at the time, that would own effectively the, the freehold of the stadium. 
But back in 90, so it's another thing to see it through and for it to be a success. Back in 1993, you're a great, successful business person. Were you confident that it was uh, that it was going to be, succeed and still be around now? You know, then I did my own due diligence because yeah. I was because I was thought, my God, what am I getting involved in? You know, but the more you dug into it, the more you realised that things met with Mark Taylor, mm-hmm. and you know, it was. They were quite convincing, you know, uh, and you could see, you could just see if this whole thing worked, it just ensured that we kept football at Stanford Bridge. Absolutely. Steve, um, when I speak to fans from other clubs about it, they are amazed. They can't believe it. Do you think we've, there's been enough credit about how unique the concept is? Um, well, uh, you, you know, I... I it, it's surprising, you know, there's 30 years and still people are, don't really understand Chelsea pitch owners. Mm. They, they, you know, they're not fully aware of it. All right, we've got younger supporters coming through. Um, but, it, it, you know, once you, you know, even now, if people just buy the share, do they really understand the full concept? It was unique. It is unique and very clever as well. I mean, in the least, it's only football can be played at the stadium. Yeah. Not rugby, <laughs> not nothing else. Only mm-hmm. football, not American football, foot, our soccer football. Mm-hmm. So it's very. So the detail, um, the detail that that Mark Taylor and Ken went into was unbelievable. And it's just the footprint of the stadium, isn't it? That's the other well, thing. Well, what it is, it, it's it's the stands and the easements. Yeah. yeah, and also, can we? The the other thing, uh, as someone who's a major consultant as you are to property developers all the time. That's how you've, you've, um, that's been your career, isn't it? Um, for people who don't know the area around Stamford bridge, why was it such a rich, uh, likely to be rich pickings for developers? What, what is special about the actual area that Stamford bridge sits on? Well, I, I mean, location, 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 isn't it? Yeah. With all these things. Ken Bates would always say, oh, we're a 15-minute drive from Harrods. Wasn't <laughs> yes. his, his, his favourite quotation? And, <laughs> but as you know, all the property around that surrounds the club, it's very expensive, sought after. It's where it is, you know. Chelsea, come on, mm-hmm. here's the place to be, to live, you know, for people that want to live in the... In, in, in London and that is a great area. And it's even, you look at what's happened around by the harbour, you know, uh, and, and also it, for people working in the city, you've got the underground, you've got such great, com, uh, you know, commuting options. So, yeah, and it's, um, you know, if you just look at the properties that are around, they just, they're just worth a fortune. So if times, if, if you can, if you consider, if you consider, um, uh, you know the amount of acreage there is there, and you can put in a few tower blocks. You know mm-hmm. penthouses and that. It's so valuable as as development land. So valuable if you can get the plan. If you can get the planning permission, and I don't think that would probably be a problem. Now, Steve, um, for the benefit of some of our listeners who maybe aren't sure exactly what it is, could you just give a brief summary of what CPO is and what it isn't? Well. But it's a listed company, um, doesn't trade. You can't trade shares as such. Um, so really, it's like us all giving a donation. But what it is, it's 
we were given a loan. Originally, it was ten million. Was it? But Ken always says that when Hoddle wanted a bigger pitch, that meant that <laughs> our price had to go up. So, the, the, the <laughs> which it did. I think it's about about twelve million or whatever. And uh, <clears throat> so the idea the idea was that um, you know we as as fans would own the, own the actual ground. We we would control it and and ensure that um, only football was played there, and that the name Chelsea Football Club stayed there. It can't the name can't be transferred. Yeah. So so it, it's securing our it's securing our you know our football club. That was the idea of it. And each of those shares contributes in part to paying back the loan that you, well, yes. that you mentioned. Well, yeah, eighty five percent of what we sell has to go back to the club. Yeah. We, and we can keep 15%. But, you know, any our, big, our biggest um, probably uh, issue is that um, raising money to run run uh, the, the, the CPO, uh, we still have uh, we still have a, an AGM. It costs a lot of money, Yeah, you know. And, and the voting and all that, that kind uh, of process. Yeah, we, we streamlined Expensive. it. It's online, et cetera, now. So it's been streamlined. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've looked very carefully uh, at reducing our costs. But the only other way is is, is uh, when we do, uh, like, the, the Chelsea Pitch Owners Lunch. Yes. Um, which we've got one coming up on the 2nd of June. Excellent. <laughs> like that. Um, but, th- you know, that is our source of income, really. Um, uh, and if, it, if we have to dig into the... Uh, if we have any issues... Uh, for instance, like when when the, the stadium, the planning permission was going, uh, any illegal fees, uh, the club covers. So all we need to do is just find our running costs and then keep selling shares because we have to. One day we have to try and pay the loan off, but we have to show best endeavours. Mm. I think on the stadium name, just to clarify this for people that don't know, uh, sorry, not the stadium name, the uh, Chelsea, you know, the name of Chelsea Football Club. You're right. Uh, we don't. This, I say we because I used to be a director of CPO as well. Unfortunately, mm, yeah. Don't own the name, but Chelsea, if they moved out without permission to play at another stadium, wouldn't be able to use the name Chelsea FC. No. So it, it, you're right. It's tied. It's kind of nailed um, yeah. to the yeah. to Stamford Bridge, isn't it? That name. We, move, we just become uh, Chelsea Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> So it's very clever because it's for fans, you know. It's really clever, isn't it? We all have votes up to a hundred. Depending on how many shares you have, the most votes you have is 100. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, when we had the debacle in 2011, it got very close to having 75% of, of, of the shareholders could vote, could vote for us to move now. They could vote for us to give the name away. So... Um, what the club is there for, what what the, the, the CPO is there for, is to protect the club. But at the end of the day, uh, uh, it, we, we we are reliant on our shareholders all being in tune with us. Now you became chair of CPO in 1997, and fundraising approved improved. Uh, was there a FA Cup final ticket tie-in by any chance? Uh, well, what what happened was um, Ken, in his infinite wisdom, decided to give us uh, uh, a load of. <laughs> FA Cup final tickets, and if, if you um, if you bought if you bought a share, we'd sell you a ticket. Whether that was legal or not, that's what happened. 
And then we got in another cup final, and so we upped the ante. We said you had to buy two shares. (laughs) (laughs) Good business. You can see why the fundraising improved. (laughs) Oh, hang on, hang on a minute. I've got uh, no. There was also also we um, we were the CPO lunch was a real cold thing. We were having seven hundred people at that lunch. Yeah, yeah. You know, and we were making good money. For, for the for we had that we also we also had the, the old lottery if you recall we had the income from the credit cards but that yep. the lottery was apparently illegal and then we were doing so well with the credit card I think Ken wanted wanted that back so we and then as you know uh, unfortunately Richard King gave Chelsea the lunch yeah and so since I've been back. In 2011, we started from scratch. So, so you left, and um, and then you know, I, I was Richard King asked yeah. me to come in in 20. I'm just going to skip to this because I need to get this off my chest. Really, <laughs> that I was invited to come on the board. I'd had no, uh, I, you know, I didn't apply for it or anything. I was basically asked to come in in early 2011. I've got to say that that first. Mm, six months or so, eight months. It's probably the worst professional experience I've had in my life. Mm, I bet it was. I was totally um, misled. I was told there would be no uh, suggestion of a of the club coming after CPO. That didn't happen. It happened straight, like literally weeks after I joined. Mm. I had an email saying, oh, sorry, uh, what I told you isn't quite right. Um, they they do <laughs> want to buy it. Can you imagine? And also, the legal counsel was just appalling. And in fact, during the actual debacle, of, we'll come on to the actual meeting, but during the actual meeting where um, the Say No CPO prevailed and the vote, the club lost the, the vote to take over, Legal counsel leant over to me in whispers and said, I'm sorry, you were entitled to better counsel than I provided. And I said, well, what do you mean? And I didn't understand what the process, what had gone wrong. He'd made some huge error. And I said, well, what was it? He said, it's better that you don't ask because it, you, it could incriminate you. So basically, I was kept in the dark about some big mistake that they'd made that made it even more of a travesty. But I've got to say, I said from the outset that... I said, look, we have to put this to the people. We have to. We're legally bound to. But if you put it this way, put it in this fashion, in the way that you're proposing it, it's going to get thrown out. No one is going to buy it. No one is going to want it. And I'm afraid to say that's... I was, that's what happened, yeah. I was proven yeah, well, As you right. know, when, when I came in, some of that mess was still there. Yeah, well, I, I was there inviting you in. Steve, and thank God Again, I did. My memory serves me right. You might remember we we, we actually took him to task, didn't we? Mm. And I think we we refused to set this bill. If I recall. Yeah, exactly. So that was one of the first things I think we had to deal with. But also, I think the it showed. Uh, firstly, it showed the passion of Chelsea fans to mobilise as Say No CPO did, and there were some very high powered people involved in uh, in that. And they really knew their stuff. They were very testing of, of all the resources that CPO had, as well as what the the, the club had. Um, it was a really difficult time, especially as torn as I was. And um, But 
sense prevailed, I think. And when it was voted down, it, it should have been, a club should have taken, in my opinion, a very, very different approach to the whole thing. Uh, and of course, then you're in the from the wreckage, we invite you back as chairman, get Dennis Wise uh, in as well to kind of steady the ship. But those were difficult times, weren't they, Steve? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was certainly different from when I was chairman the first time. You know, it, that, that was really quite, it was a breeze the first time, but then all of a sudden you've got all the conspiracy theorists thought I was uh, Abramovich's plant and God knows what else. <laughs> you know, a certain amount of trolling went on. You know, yeah. Rick, I think you know me well enough. I'm, I'm a huge Chelsea fan, you know. Of course. What I've ever done in, my, in all the in all the uh, things that I've been involved with Chelsea is because I love Chelsea, and um, you know. But I got some stick from all all quarters. But mm-hmm. there you go. I mean, uh, I took it on, you, you know, and I was, I'm still there now because I won't walk away. You know, from it. I, I, the first time uh, I, I resigned, it, it it felt very thankless. And actually, it, it doesn't really change much. It's a, you, know, <laughs> you know, but you've got to get over that. You know, you're not yeah. going to get people patting you on the back and saying you've done a great job or whatever. You know, uh, people will, will not know. There's not enough time to explain that you, you know, because you shared some of it with me you, that yeah. particular time. It was very difficult, very, very difficult. Yeah, but you did a great job. Yeah, people knew, knew you know, they were, they were giving me de- details about my own personal life. It was, you know. Mm. But there we go. We've moved on. Uh, you know, ho- ho- hopefully the fact that I've now I've now done what, another, another, another t- 12 years, <laughs> idiot, you know. <laughs> I'm the longest serving director, you know, nearly 17 years and all. So if you, with the first dance, but um, yeah. The other thing we found out, of course, that what we were told was impossible became possible. And the the plans for regenerating the bridge in 2017 were were approved. So what was your relationship with the board like around that time? Um, well, 2017, um, I, I, my son had a diving accident. So I stood down as chairman. So um, Charles Rose came in, and Charles was very much involved with um, the, the 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 planning, uh, the right of lights issue, and that sort of thing. He did a pretty good job, to be honest with you, and all that sort of stuff. But it was a different approach, Steve, wasn't it? The, yes, to, yeah, to yeah. before uh, it was much more involving uh, CPO and other supporter organisations in planning and decision making. Yeah. Well, they they set they they you know obviously um, Adil is it Adil was the guy who came up yeah. with a great idea with the stadium. They brought Hugh Rosen on all yeah. these guys, and they 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 were very very thorough, yeah, very thorough in everything they looked at, even the color, the original color of the weather vane. You know, they were looking at everything about Chelsea, uh, and 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 they actually uh, we we had lots of meetings with them where they explained. The new concept, what they wanted to do, um, you know, obviously, obviously, confidential stuff we would never be including. But I, I, I can't su- suggest for one minute that the club didn't reverse their attitude. They, they really did keep us involved. Yeah, it was completely different, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, absolutely. It, oh, I think they realised that you know we've, we've got to get some brownie points back here. <laughs> yeah. 
and, and, and they did. Uh, they and, did. You know, um, mm. we were very much involved, you know. So how are things today uh, in that respect? Because we hear reports of another new development in Elfin. And what kind of ga- dialogue do, do you have with the club's new owners? Because, of course, it is a new board. Yeah. Uh, uh, all our owners have been very wealthy people. Are they not? Very, very wealthy. Yeah. No owner won't be wealthy. We would be naive to think that they're not researching and looking at every option, whether it be at the bridge or away. I have not, that's just my opinion as a businessman. Every businessman will look at every option. They would look at their risk and everything. So you, nobody really knows what's coming, going to come through the door. But at the moment, there's good dialogue. Um, uh, Chris is, it has good rapport with them. And, but I haven't met them yet because, you know, I've been out the country on and off. I haven't actually been in to meet them. And I'm hoping that may happen this year. So, But from, what, from all the feedback we're getting, pretty open dialogue. Um, if we're not happy about something, we don't sit there, we challenge uh, and we get a response. And that's so I would say, you know, it, it's harmonious, that's for sure. They're very keen to, they're very, very, very keen um, to work with us. They want us involved. And that's good news for throughout for our pitch owners, yeah. shareholders. And we do need to look at the size of the stadium, uh, the current stadium, because looking at the stadium proposals for uh, other clubs, we could drop as low as 11th in terms of capacity in the Premier League and Leicester and Leicester. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They're raising theirs in the near future to 40,000, just below our capacity, which is Mm -hmm. 41,623. But, you know, United, 76. Um, Tottenham's obviously 61. Arsenal, West Ham are going up as well, aren't they? So, yeah. Yeah, and Everton's I think will be fifty-two and a yeah. bit. That's going to be there next year, I think. Well, well, again, uh, uh, these guys are businessmen. They 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 know this. They know they need a bigger stadium. To uh, and, and you know the American ways, as we all know, it's bigger, isn't it? You know, and and I'm sure. Uh, well, I thought I saw Avatar somewhere that they brought this American woman over that's helped them develop their stadiums. Janet in, Marie in Smith, yeah, I've met her. Great woman, really. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think they're, they're putting together teams of people looking at it as we speak, or they're working on it as we speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but nothing, nothing's been offered up to us yet. So, um, mm-hmm. obviously, uh, what's happened with Stoll? I don't know if there's an outcome with Stoll because they bid for that, apparently. That makes a huge difference to the, to the size of the plot. Stoll Foundation yeah. next door, you're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's, a, that's obviously adjacent land, isn't it, mm. uh, if you're looking to expand. But I think, just want to say, you, the, see, all the CPO board do great work without any <laughs> uh, thanks, to be honest. And I think it would be brilliant if we could uh, expand Stamford Bridge, stay at home, and then we'll look at CPO and say, look, 30 years of threats and mm. we're still at our ancestral home. And that's largely down to CPO. It's done its job so far. Exactly. Well, we're grateful to everyone who's been involved, including you, Steve. Yeah, but, but, but we still we still have 
a loan to pay off. Mm-hmm. We still have we still have to uh, run the company, which costs. I think we it's about forty to fifty thousand pound a year. We're all voluntary, you know that. So mm-hmm. yeah. uh, we don't take anything out of the business. No, out of the business. Exactly. But it, with the with the AGM, etc. It's and insurances, you know, uh, and getting the the the, re, the, the, the the stadium revalued each year. It, we, we, we probably need to cover our costs of about forty, fifty thousand pounds as it stands. Mm-hmm. So, what about the the um, pitch owners event? Sell us that one. You said it's in early June. Yeah, the second of June. Um, it's 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 the same old format. You know, some very good uh, comedian. Um, ho- hopefully, some of our older players join us, and you know. Just a lot of camaraderie, to be honest with you. Uh, proper Chelsea. Proper Chelsea, yeah. We have good. Listen, we don't. Not to be honest with you. Ever since I, I started the Chelsea Pitch Owners Lunch, it's been open to everybody. It's open to football fans, and I've never been shy in selling uh, shares to Arsenal, Tottenham fans, Fulham fans, anybody that I could sell them to. I'd take their money to help pay for it, pay our loan off. Well, Steve, we charge them a bit more. <laughs> yeah, charge them tax. In any event, I think we're done. It was really brilliant. Yeah, it was Thank really you. good. All right, fella. Thanks for thanks for coming back, and thanks for everything that you do, Steve. It's all appreciated. But but as much as you can say that the that the um you know the challenge is still to sell the shares. Don't exactly. be shy. Goodbye. No, no. All no, right, mate. Absolutely. All right then. See you soon. All the best. One of the things that really comes strong there is. Not only how perilous the situation really was, mm-hmm. but also one of the reasons it was perilous was how incredibly important the land was and how it was gold dust to anyone that wanted to speculate in property. So that just made the situation so much more real, didn't it? It, it did, because we've all known, we've all appreciated the beauty of Chelsea. It is a special place and what well, Fulham obviously that part of Chelsea and Fulham that we happen to uh, our team happens to inhabit uh, it's just beautiful around there and it's always been uh, a sought after because real estate of the footprint that is 12 and a half acres that we have there doesn't come up very regularly and you can see in the recent development at Earl's Courts um, just down the road which was a you know the international exhibition center and Olympia next door uh that that site is being was was supposed to be realized for luxury apartments and you know and a kind of new destination in that part of west london and that is worth hundreds of millions of pounds i mean hundreds of millions of pounds so that's why there will always be a greedy bastard who will uh want to buy chelsea football club buy stanford bridge and just make money out of it. And Rick, is there a there's a rumor you may be able to confirm this that a well-known entrepreneur and former <laughs> director of one of our London neighbours was actually a shareholder of CPO. <laughs> In answer to your question, Gary, uh, yes, it's true. And um, if he was, if he ever got onto the board of CPO, I'd say you're fired. <laughs> As, but, as, um, as long yes. as we don't, as long as we don't mention any names, <laughs> yeah, exactly, and we're not breaking any, um, you know, uh, privacy rules there. No, um, we wouldn't mention his name. Uh, no. I do take two spoonfuls in my tea. 
So Steve was a founding director in 1993, left in the noughties, then he came back after the debacle of 2011 and is still a guiding light in the CPO today. Much, much, much respect and thanks very much, Steve. Yeah, exactly. And I think what Steve revealed really in over the course of what he was saying demonstrates its continued relevance uh, as well as the, the peace of mind it brings but I think you have to say that 2011, the events that took place then, show the need to preserve it still very much. Um, the new CPO board under Chair Chris is it still need our help? And we'd urge anyone in the UK to consider signing up for the annual fundraising dinner in early June that Steve mentioned. And also, any Chelsea fan around the world uh, can buy a share in uh, the Chelsea pitch owners. You just have to Google CPO buy a share and uh, go through with the purchase to show your love for this club. Well, we'll also put a link in the episode description. Mm-hmm. Now, you've been listening to the famous CFC podcast with me, Gary Barone, and him, Rick Glanville, with very special thanks to our guest, Steve Frankham, MBE. If you like the show, please subscribe and spread the word. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, come on, you boots. <laughs>